This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today uh, with Sanjit Ganguly. Uh, I'll get to Sanjit in a second, but I have a, a little bit of a disclaimer here. In the early 90s, I was on the board of advisors for the National Computer Security Association, not because I know anything at all about computer security, but they needed a federal marketing guy, and I was it. So one of the other board members told me something that stayed with me all of these years, and he said that hackers showed up about 10 minutes after the first 15 feet of cable were laid. So I've had an interest in computer security ever since, though my technical knowledge still lags. Zscaler is not an Amtower client. They got high on my radar when one of the women I mentored over this past year was hired to be part of Josie Smoot's federal marketing team at Zscaler. Uh, and this team has a lot of talent. Uh, she told me about the new books, The Seven Elements of Highly Successful Zero Trust Architecture, and she was able to get me a copy. So zero trust is beyond hot. So Sanjit and his co-authors, Nathan Howe and Gerard Festa, were immediately on my radar. So I asked her and Josie to see if I could get an interview. And here we are, thanks to Nick Gonzalez, Natalia Wadicki. And uh, thanks for getting this ball rolling, Sherry Asensio. I appreciate it. So Sanjit, Vice President transformation strategy and field CTO of Zscaler. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Mark. A pleasure to be here and uh, really excited to chat with you today. Yeah. So uh, let, let's start with a little bit of, of your personal background, please. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, been a fun ride at Zscaler. So like you said, I am on the transformation strategy team here at Zscaler. Um, it's a unique department. So we're a, a collection of a uh, um, ex-customers and ex-industry analysts um, that essentially guide our customers through their transformation journey. As you can imagine, zero trust, and we'll dive into it more, is a transformation in many ways, a network and security transformation. So that's uh, part of my role. Um, been at Zscaler for about two years and nine months and actually came to Zscaler from Gartner. I was a Gartner analyst for many years, covering many topics, many of which including things like network transformation. Um, and prior to that, was at Riverbed as deputy CTO and then did a number of engineering development roles before that. Cool. So lay the groundwork for me here. I mean, I, I because I've read the book now and a number of the uh, the blog posts, and it let me let me put this out. If you want a copy of this book, you can get an e-copy uh, at revolutionaries.zscaler.com forward slash insights. And I'll repeat that later in the show too. Uh, so lay the groundwork for me. What What's the necessity here? Um, everybody knows about, you know, hacker incidents because there must be one about every 12 minutes now. Mm -hmm. It's a great question, Mark. And, and, and it's a, you know, top of mind for, for, you know, all of our customers and everyone I speak to on a daily basis. And let me maybe back up a little bit to say kind of how, how do we get to a point 
where um, the security and the networking that we've spent millions, if not billions of dollars building are failing to stop a lot of these hacking and intrusions and breaches. And it really boils down to this concept of, of how network and security was architected. And this all started you know, 20, 30 years ago when you know, all this connectivity became a necessity. And you will hear these terms like hub and spoke and castle and moat. And those architectural types were kind of the, the basis for when networks were built. So if you think about a hub and spoke network, you know, early on, we pretty much all used to work in an office and the applications we access were typically hosted somewhere locally. But then, you know, networks started to branch out. So the networks had to get extended to wherever the branches were. And then users or workers started to work from home. So the networks using VPNs had to start getting expanded to users' home networks. And then applications, they weren't always hosted in you know, a corporate facility. They started moving to the cloud. And what happened over this time period was these networks got expanded more and more, creating a lot of attack surface. And at the same time, as these networks were being built out, security was very much architected as a castle and moat in the sense that if you can build a moat around your most precious assets, you were protected. So that worked fine when you had um, all of your assets hosted in a, maybe a centralized data center that you controlled and you can build using firewalls and various appliances like IDS, IPS, you can build a, a, a moat that's pretty fairly successfully protected those assets. But what has happened? What's happened is that those applications are far more distributed today. I would, I would argue that almost everyone listening today has applications that are hosted in probably multiple cloud environments in GovCloud, um, maybe uh, StateRAM Cloud, for example, coupled with um, applications hosted in private data centers, public data centers. So a castle and moat architecture for security doesn't really work all that well. So when you have a situation where you have a lot of attack surface and you have a security architecture that's not particularly suited toward distributed applications, you have you, you have a recipe um, for, for breaches. And, and I'll walk you through kind of what steps happen for that breach. But let me first maybe put an example or an analogy. Um, so think about, Mark, you know, if I came to, if, if you were, you know, gonna, I've come to meet you in a, in a big office okay, and, I, and I came to meet you. I would typically, in today's environment, go up to the front desk. Maybe there'd be a receptionist. Maybe I show an ID, and then I'd be I'd be granted access to your building. I'd probably be told what your office number was. I'd go go up the elevator and find you. Go to your office, have a nice meeting, and I'd walk out on my own. Now I would be able to see your building from the street. I'd be able to see not only your office but all the offices in your building. Theoretically, I could bring some bad stuff in, right? Leave something bad in there, or I could, you know, steal some sensitive data. That analogy is typical to what network and security is like today. Some minimal controls, but once you have access, you can then move laterally and do potential harm. And so when you think about kind of how breaches happen, it's a very similar thing. Nation state actors, you know, cyber criminals are basically out there looking for exposure. They're looking for an attack surface. The network by nature is listening for people to access. Um, that's what, how networks have been built. And so if someone is listening and you access it and you can breach it, 
either through maybe stolen credentials or zero, you know, some sort of zero day vulnerability or through, you know, some sort of VPN issue, right? There's so many different ways to, to hack a network. Once you're into the network, they can now scan and look for passwords, look for sensitive data. And essentially, you know, at that point, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very common ransomware attack where the data is then encrypted and there's a ransom, right? These type of things can happen. And if you look at the news, um, you know, very prominent corporations over the years have had these type of breaches, frankly, because of the architectures that we've been uh, building all these years. All right. So, and, and you know, when I was reading the, uh, the blog posts, one of the final things that each uh, blog post had, you know, what the architecture was currently and maybe the issues facing that. So I, I, I get that. Before we take a dive into the seven steps, so we're going to take a break. So we have a little longer segment to to start with element one of the seven elements of highly successful zero trust uh, architectures. And uh, we're going to be back right after this. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. We'll return shortly. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Sanjit Ganguly, who is the Vice President of Transformation Strategy and the Field CTO for Zscaler. Uh, Zscaler is a leading uh, uh, provider of zero trust, which is why we're here today. Um, so, Sanjit, what what is zero trust? Yeah, great, great question. And um, you know, the the kind of the the environment I just laid out sounds pretty scary, right? This castle mode and hub and spoke type of architecture. And so, this concept of zero trust uh, introduced several years ago, um, but really been been popularized as of late. And you know, and frankly, um, you know, President Biden's May twenty twenty one executive order really solidified its status as. Kind of this next um, architecture that everyone should consider is really based upon solving some of these issues of the past. When we say zero trust, as the name implies, what it's aiming to solve is that networks by their nature are not zero trust. They're pretty much trust and then um, and then do some sort of verification. Zero trust says don't trust anything. Everything needs to be verified before any access is granted. Now. The concept of zero trust just by itself is a fairly broad concept and a broad topic. And you'll see, um, you know, many vendors kind of take their own approach and how they apply zero trust. Zero trust can be applied from network security, identity, right? There are many ways to apply the concept of zero trust. Zero trust in general is not really even a technology per se. It's really a framework. It's an architecture. It's a way of thinking that looks at any place where trust is implicitly granted. Um, and that trust is removed to, to use things like identity to grant trust. Now, where zero trust has been specifically implemented is in what many listeners might hear about is what is called zero trust network access. And you, they might hear ZTNA, that's the acronym that that goes by. And that is, I would say, a technology and that leverages zero trust. And frankly, is actually, um, um, conforms to the NIST uh, 800-207 standard that was put out several years ago in terms of how do you provide secure remote access um, for those who are accessing internal applications using zero trust principles that reduce the attack surface or eliminate the attack surface. So ZTNA 
um, is a practical implication of zero trust, but zero trust is this concept of removing implicit trust from your environment. Cool. All right. So let's let's uh, take a walk through the seven elements. So mm-hmm. let's let's start with number one, which uh, you know, who's connecting? Take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, when it comes to the zero trust or providing the zero trust capability and the approach that Zscaler has taken is we've said, you know, a lot of this castle and moat security architecture lives in the data center. Why is it living in a data center? Why don't we take it and put it into our cloud? And so, you know, through the you know leadership of our founder back in 2017, who had this very novel concept of moving security to the cloud, we have built this massive worldwide um, set of POPs, 150 in total. Um, and I should say, and even just today, news that we are now FedRAMP moderate and high certified across all of our products. Um, I, meant, I meant to congratulate you on that. Yeah, I saw yeah. the news. Exactly. Across the board. For, yeah, for our internet access and private access solutions. We're very excited. Um, so we've essentially built this massive cloud that provides this security. And basically what happens is as a, an agency, for example, and you know, obviously you know, we have many agencies that are using this technology today, um, traffic that is destined either to the internet, to GovCloud, um, or to any sort of publicly hosted application or to private applications are sent to our cloud first. And the traffic is forwarded to us. Now, when it gets to us, and what we wrote this book around these seven elements, our cloud basically performs seven elements to ensure that all those connections are 100% secure, fast, and reliable using and based upon zero trust principles. So the first step of this entire process is to ask the question, who is, who is connecting? Who are you? And this is the basis of a lot of zero trust is around identity. In Traditional networks, a network element that's listening for a connection really wouldn't care who is connecting. Maybe it would look at some IP address rules, but in general, it was really allowed to connect anyone, mostly from an IP perspective, from a very granular or very uh, low level type of IP address. Where we see zero trust and how we've built our zero trust architecture is to first start by understanding identity. So what does that mean? What is identity? Well, identity means me, for example, if I'm trying to access a zero, a Zscaler asset, let's say one of our crown jewels internal applications, my request is going to be blocked, first stopped and terminated. Okay, our cloud is going to terminate that connection and first say, who are you? And it's going to use integrations that we have with your common identity access management provider to say, hey, I'm Sanjit. I'm in the, you know, the transformation strategy team. I have multi-factor authentication turned on. So I am who I say I am. And that identification verification is step one to letting me go on to additional steps. Now, let's say, for example, my identity either wasn't verified or my identity was, was a identity that did not potentially have access to that resource at that point the architecture would say, no, you know, it could not verify identity and I cannot let you pass, right? So that's kind of the first step of any zero trust architecture is to say, who is connecting? Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, a lot of zero trust architecture has been spoken about to be about users 
connecting and accessing resources. But really, it's not just about users. In fact, you know, there are also things. What do I mean by things? I mean, um, if you think about the Internet of Things, if you think about operational technology, like your card scanners, like your uh, security cameras, like your HVAC systems, if you're doing any sort of manufacturing, those uh, factory equipment, those also can and should be protected by zero trust architectures. Not only that, we should also think about workloads. So not just users connecting to resources, but workloads, application elements connecting to other application elements. So I encourage listeners to think more broadly about zero trust. It's not just about or users. It's also things and workloads that are needing to connect and should also go through the zero trust architecture, which as a step one should be about verifying the identity of that request. Okay, so step two, is, and this one really got me because I love the word context, mm -hmm. the, the context surrounding yep. the access request. Exactly. So context is very, very important because I, as a user, may be identified correctly, but there could be things about how I'm trying to connect, elements about the device I'm connecting on, um, elements about... Um, the you know the level of security i've installed on my site could be context around where i'm connecting from that should be taken into consideration it shouldn't just purely be about identity so what we've done is kind of a step two is we've asked the question what is that requester's context so you know in the in the case of the book we ask we, we look into a bunch of different things so for example we'll say is the user coming from a location that we deem to be we will ask the question, are they coming from a corporately managed device or are they bringing their own device? Are they using a PC or a tablet? Each of those has different types of risk categories, right? We'll ask, are they coming from headquarters or maybe they're coming from a, a remote location? We'll also look at the role of the user, right? So if they're an employee, that's one thing. What if they're an, a contractor? What if they're a consultant that has access? Or what department are they in? So for example, if I'm in engineering and I have access to an application, Maybe that's fine, but if my contact tells me that I'm in the sales department trying to access that application, contextually, that tells me that maybe that, that, that access shouldn't be there. So understanding the access connect context becomes super important because it gives a more three-dimensional view of that request, but, and we'll get to this in another element, feeds into this whole concept of, of risk and being able to dynamically calculate risk to see whether or not that access should be granted or not. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. I'm here with Sandra Ganguly of Zscaler, and we're discussing the seven elements of highly successful zero trust architecture. You can download the ebook at the at the website. Go to revolutionaries.zscaler.com forward slash insights. And Sanjit and I will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Sanjit Ganguly, who is the VP of a lot of different things at Zscaler. He's a techie. Uh, if you're listening to this, you'll understand that his technical knowledge is vast, which is important because he's doing important stuff. That's that's my technical jargon. That's 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 the extent. Uh, so element three. Where where is this connection going? So mm -hmm. you've got the the who's coming, who's connecting, the context surrounding the access request, and now element three is where do they want to go? Exactly. So element three is very important because 
depending on my destination, I'm going to be or apply different levels of security. So again, if we just to quickly recap, I as a user am trying to get to a particular application, a particular resource. I've connected to Zscaler Cloud. Zscaler Cloud has terminated that connection. It's asked who I am. It's figured out my context. And then for element three, it's going to try to figure out whether or not and how risky the destination is that I'm trying to go to. So if you think about internal applications, you might have applications within your environment that you would consider to be crown jewel applications. These are applications that maybe host financial records, private you know, citizen records, and those have a certain level of risk compared to maybe other applications that have lower levels of risk. There are going to be applications, let's say, that are or, or destinations, I should say, on the internet that are known destinations. Maybe it's Office 365 or application or destination that I need to discover that may not be known, which might have a higher level of risk. Alternatively, if I'm now making a request to go to a suspected phishing site, that has another level of risk. And the, the, the zero trust architecture needs to take all that into account when factoring in um, the destination to say, hey, is it a crown jewel application? Maybe it's not. Is it a known destination? Maybe it's not. Is it unknown but safe? Is it um, maybe something that's 100% malicious? And then that feeds into you know, the, the kind of the, uh, the next few steps in the decision that it makes whether to connect or not. And the next step really takes that home. So element four is that risk assessment factor. Mm -hmm. That's right. So risk, you know, is a is a combination of, of a lot of the other factors. In fact, all, all seven elements feed into the, this risk category. And when we talk about dynamic risk assessment, and the concept there is, is that um, every connection request, so every user thing or device, has a certain amount of risk that should be calculated dynamically to determine whether or not connection should be granted to that final destination. So when we talk about risk, a lot of factors go into it. So certainly, um, you know, the identity is a part of it. What we learn from that user context is a part of it. So let's say, for example, I, um, I don't have antivirus turned on on my machine. I'm not running certain EDR solutions on my endpoint. Let's say I've brought in my own device, right? These would all slightly start to raise the risk parameters of my, of my connection request. Let's say, for example, I'm a contractor as opposed to employee. I might have a higher level of risk. So the continuous evaluation of risk is part of this, uh, this zero trust architecture that we've implemented in the, in the Zscaler platform. But I'll give you an example, Mark, of you know, kind of what we mean by risk, right? So one of the things that you know, the, the cloud or our uh, security architecture will look for are things that def define potentially malicious behavior. So if we see a user that has multiple malware downloads that have been blocked, or we see a user continuously going to phishing sites, or we have the, or we see a user that is has done what is called impossible travel. So for example, they're accessing you know something from one location, then magically accessing things from another location. When it comes to risk, these are all factors that get kind of fed into this whole risk assessment. Um, and it's dynamic. It's done continuously to make sure that there is no uh, risky behavior that's allowed in terms of the eventual connection to the resource that we're trying to make sure is perfectly safe. Okay, so when you're talking about users here, are you talking about 
the company that's trying to protect itself with zero trust? Are you talking about an outside person coming in, all of the above? Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so primarily it's, it's employees' access to critical applications that are internal applications, but also employees accessing, you know, public SaaS applications or the public internet. So it's really all of the above from what they're accessing, but it's not just employees, right? So as an example, the federal government hires lots of contractors. Contractors are given access oftentimes um, to those internal resources as well. So, you know, there are mechanisms within this zero trust architecture where not only employees are being protected from doing bad stuff and getting bad stuff done to them, it's also third parties, you know, contractors, suppliers, the zero trust architecture can expand beyond just employees. And one of the, you know, the methods, right? So a lot of what is done through zero trust is, is using managed devices, meaning that you put an agent on a device and that's what kind of ensures traffic gets to this security cloud for purposes of protection. There are many ways, however, to do it for unmanaged devices as well. And so really there's protection that can be afforded really to protect anyone trying to access some of these critical assets of, of, of these agencies. All right. So we're up to element five now, which is yeah. prevent compromise. So this may be one of my favorite elements and it's because it really is um, about the architecturally uh, architectural scale to be able to do element number five. So when we talk about element number five, it's about protecting against cyber threats. So if I'm um, a user trying to connect to an application, let's say I'm on the internet trying to connect to an application or uh, some sort of a site or a, a resource. Now, there could be bad stuff that gets downloaded. Right, malware, botnets, all sorts of different, um, you know, uh, you know, ransomware, phishing attempts, all these different things. Uh, you know, the internet's a crazy, crazy place. Right, there's a lot of potential bad things that can happen, or even for private application, there, are, you know, um, OWASP top ten mini listeners might know are a set of vulnerabilities, for example, that need to be scanned for. When you are using a, um, you know, and specifically for Zscaler, Zscaler Zero Trust Exchange is what we call our massive cloud. What it is able to do and what it must do to really provide true zero trust architecture is, in fact, stop every connection, decrypt that connection, because as we know, a vast majority of the traffic they have sent, especially to the Internet, is, is encrypted, and scan and inspect all of that traffic to ensure that there is nothing bad that is coming into my environment. And only using a cloud-native platform that can analyze and, uh, and scan and inspect this traffic at scale, frankly, with minimal amounts of latency so that it's done you know, all in memory with minimal amounts of latency, that is what provides the ability to do this inspection, decrypting both you know, TLS and SSL to make sure none of the this, this cyber threats can get in. And one of the interesting things Mark, you know, our, our cloud sees about 250 billion transactions every day. Um, so what's really cool is that we have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of daily updates that we make to our cloud because we're constantly learning about what threats are out there. And as we learn about a threat, let's say from one organization that gets propagated to all of our customers and we're able to then stop those threats from coming in. Now, as you know, right, ransomware is a, is a very big problem. And, you know, a lot of, you know, some of the, the, the um, techniques that are used um, to, to start the, you know, or, or to, to infiltrate into an environment um, are, in fact, you know, 
hidden in encrypted data, right? So this ability to decrypt at scale becomes very, very important and frankly has been the kind of the basis of our, of our proxy architecture from the very beginning. Okay, so I want to belabor this one point. Mm -hmm. Your entire structure is now FedRAMP authorized. Is that statement accurate? So we have um, our, our products are ZIA or Zscaler Internet Access, Private Access and Digital Experience. Um, are now both at um, FedRAMP high and moderate. In fact, that's uh, we just made a press release today to announce that um, those products are at the FedRAMP high and moderate level. That's correct. And I've been moderating FedRAMP since day one. There aren't, I mean, it's a, an arduous process. So the fact that you guys have moderate and high for, you know, basically across the board, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, we're we're very proud. We have a a brilliant uh, team that that works on this and has been very uh, um, persistent in in, uh, in in going and following the, the process. And yeah, we're very excited um, that that we've reached this uh, level. Yeah, and I understand Jay's pretty bright too. So yeah, yeah, he's alright. <laughs> just just a bit, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, all right, let's save the rest for the last segment. We're going to move to element six on segment four. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Uh, Sanjit and I will return after this to wrap up. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with uh, Sanjit Ganguly, who is the vice president of a whole bunch of things at Zscaler. I have it here somewhere. Transformation strategy, and he's the field CTO of Zscaler and, and the co-author of the seven elements of highly successful zero trust architecture. Get the book. Uh, it's downloadable at the Zscaler site. I'll give the address once again, revolutionaries.zscaler.com forward slash insights. There's a lot of cool stuff there, but get the book first. So we're up to element six, which is, you know, the one that everybody reads about, prevent data loss. Mm -hmm. What is it? Yeah, no, it, it's it's probably the the most important step of the process, right? I mean, what are attackers after? They're after your data. Data is a crown jewel um, of of most departments and organizations that has to be protected at all costs. And so, just you know, just a quickly recap, right? So, if you take my example of trying to connect to an asset, you know, a Zscaler, let's say internal application, I've been directed to the Zscaler cloud. It's stopped my connection. It's asked me who I am. It's figured out my contacts, where I'm going. It's come up with a risk assessment. It's scanned my my request for before or my traffic for for malware and bad stuff. And now we come to a really really important part of this process, because the zero trust exchange, Zscaler's cloud, is stopping this request and it's able to open up, decrypt, if you will, this application traffic that's coming down. It can also see what's going out. And so what it's doing, it is actually going to be looking both in-band and out-of-band, and I'll explain that in a second, to ensure that nothing sensitive is leaving my organization. So what does that mean? What's sensitive data? So it could be things like credit card numbers, social security numbers, it could be intellectual property, it could be legal documents, it could be patent filings, right? Think about anything that kind of drives your organization or agency and that needs to be protected. Because of the ability of the zero trust exchange to do this level of A decryption and B inspection in, in real time with minimal latency, a lot of our, or almost the, the ability then to 
prevent the leakage or loss or exfiltration of sensitive data becomes actually very possible. Now, when I say inline or inline or, or out of band, let me explain that. So we're looking at data in kind of in two different ways, right? There is data that might be in motion. So let's say, for example, I'm a malicious actor and I'm trying to steal some of the intellectual property. Let's say I'm trying to steal a customer list of with their social security numbers and credit card numbers of my company's customers. And I'm trying to upload that to a, a site on the internet. The Zero Trust Exchange will see, you know, and, and, and successfully based upon the policy that, that you would have to set, um, is, would, would see that that is not something that should be allowed. And that upload would be subsequently blocked. Now, at the same time, when we talk about out of band data loss prevention, that is saying, well, you know, a lot of data is already sitting at rest in the cloud, for example and applying similar data policies and data protection policies for data at rest becomes very useful. And so having um, capabilities to not only protect data in motion, doing using inline data protection, but also using things like APIs and other policies to protect data sitting at rest in you know, different cloud hosted providers becomes very important as well. Mark, the ultimate goal obviously is to protect data. If you, if you read about the breaches that always tend to occur, um, you know, the the ultimate endpoint of that is the data was encrypted and then the company ended up paying a ransom. And even that, you know, may not have resulted in a positive outcome, right? Sometimes the, the attackers don't even release the data or worse, the data then is actually stolen and used for malicious purposes. That's why, you know, there needs to be controls in place to ensure that if data in fact is reaching or going or, or leaving the premises, it needs to be having a, a, a zero trust architecture needs to be in place to stop that connection, ensure the data is safe before it's able to be sent. Yeah, I mean, that that's what hits the news, right? You know, mm -hmm. X company loses data, you know, 10 million credit cards are now out there on the dark web. I hate when that happens. That's right. No, yeah, 100%. Um, All right, so we're, we're up to element seven, which is probably maybe the most difficult policy enforcement. Mm -hmm. So element seven is really where the rubber hits the road, right? This is where the final decision is made as to how the connection is going to be, if the connection is going to be made to that final destination. So there are two major elements here. First thing that has to be looked at is user access policy. So what does that mean? In a zero trust environment, users are now are not granted access to a network. Rather, users are granted access to applications. And we call this application level segmentation. You're not segmenting a network, which frankly is very difficult. And you know, network mechanisms, the layer three mechanisms of segmentation are, are frankly very difficult to actually implement using ACLs and firewall rules and things like that. In a zero trust world, you are saying things like Sanjit and Mark because they are in this department, have access to these three applications. So the first part of the, the element seven is to say, hey, you know, what does my policy say? I've gone through all these other checks. Let's ensure that the policy, the segmentation rule that has been set up, does in fact have them grant be able to be granted access to the application they're actually requesting. Now, the segmentation rule, the application segmentation rules you know, certainly for many organizations who or many listeners might be wondering, well, I don't know 
necessarily who needs access to what. You know, I've been giving full network access to my my employees. Now, the good news is because something like the zero trust exchange, because it is seeing those traffic flows, um, and this is actually market feature we introduced very recently, it's actually able to make recommendations. It's actually able to say, hey, everyone in finance seems to be accessing this application, or I see two employees in finance always access this application. Perhaps the other employees in finance need to access it as well. So a lot of those segmentation rules can be automatically suggested and recommended and built out to, to get very granular application policies. Now, once that determination is made, there's a second part, and that's what will be allowed. So we call this, and there are various iterations of this, um, in terms of is the connection allowed or is it blocked? But there's a lot of in-between. So the best case scenario, if everything passes all the checks, you know, I am granted access to my application. Now, let's say, for example, I am requesting an application access, but I have a high-risk profile. Then the system, the, Z, the, the Zero Trust Exchange from Zscale might say, hey, well, we don't really feel comfortable giving full access. What if I gave isolated access? So what does that mean, isolated access? It's what we call browser isolation. And this says, hey, don't let the user actually go to the website, but stream a set of pixels instead to automatically make them think like they're on the website, but really that's a protected version of the site, for example. Or it might say, if I have a certain risk profile, We'll give them access, but we'll also do a warning sent to the admin to say, hey, this is happening. And the and the admin might have to say, okay, we'll get them have access. Alternatively, if it sees something that may be malicious, it can do a quarantine in a sandbox. And let's say, you know, we do what we call a detonation, actually see if it's bad or not in a quarantined environment, and then give me access or not. And finally, the other piece may be, let's say, for example, I'm a compromised user. Let's say I've stolen someone's credentials and I'm trying to do, do some harm. The Zero Trust Exchange also has deception capability, meaning that it can look at my behavior and say, well, gosh, I'm going to sites I really shouldn't be, and I'm trying to access stuff I really shouldn't be. It looks like I might be a compromised user. What if I sent them to a, a deception site or a honeypot, as they call it? where it's basically a emulated version of where I'm trying to go, where I can be monitored and then subsequently blocked and then tracked. Um, and then finally, there's kind of a, a full block. So the, the beauty of the solution is at any particular time, depending on all the other elements that we've gone through, the Zero Trust Exchange makes a very smart decision about allow, condition allow, warn and allow, quarantine, deceive, um, you know, uh, isolate or block, giving a lot of flexibility in terms of how the, the, the user is getting granted access to the resource that they're trying to get to. Now, when that final step happens, the last step of the process is actually making that connection. So what's really interesting here is if, if someone is asked, if I'm going to the public internet, at that point, Zero Trust Exchange, you know, these pops around, uh, around the country and the world, they will have, there'll, there'll be some, you know, a connection outbound and egress point where it will connect out and give access to that final destination on the internet, for example, to an Office 365 app. However, for internal applications, remember what we talked about earlier, the attack surface. In traditional architectures or VPN architectures, if I want to connect to an application, something had to be out there listening on the public internet, listening for me to request that application. Typically, it was a 
a VPN concentrator, for example. In the case of zero trust, remember, we're eliminating that attack surface. There's nothing out there listening for me to start to connect to it because that obviously opens the door to getting breached. And, and, and my, my, my good friend, Han Sang Bay likes to say, if you're reachable, you're breachable. And uh, it kind of rolls off the tongue, but it's 100% true. So in a zero trust world, if I'm trying to access, let's say, an internal application, what instead happens is that a reverse um, or an outbound tunnel is created from the application, meaning there's an outbound tunnel for me, outbound tunnel from the application through what we call an app connector. It's stitched together in our cloud. So there is no more visible attack service anymore. It's just two outbound tunnels. So you can attack what you can't see. And that's what creates a zero trust connection in order to give me, you know, and then, you know, once those tunnels are stitched together, I am then granted access, but there's nothing out there that's listening that can then subsequently cause, cause harm. Okay. So if, if, if a hacker gets frustrated with you, they're likely to move on but some of them are going to be persistent, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I have no idea why I just said that, but but you know, it it just it it's got to frustrate them. They they are techies. You're a puzzle now, and and the the elements that you've presented here are going to make that that puzzle more like an enigma, damn near impossible to solve. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. So so if you're you're solving, you're removing the big vulnerabilities, right? You're removing the attack surface. You're removing the ability because, like I said, we're not doing network-based access, right? It's user-to-app access. So an, an attacker can't access a network. There's no more routable network, right? It's all user-to-app um, connections that are being granted, and so the attack surface is removed. The lateral movement is moved, so you know, they can't get in and start to search laterally, you know, move around the network to see what's there. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the, the kind of the vulnerabilities of, of yesteryear with Castle and Mo and Hub and Spoke, you know, by migrating to this type of architecture, there are a lot of advantages. One thing we didn't mention, Mark, but you know, a lot of what we talked about were the security advantages. But remember also, you know, and, and a lot of this was very ever ever evident during the uh, the, the COVID years, is that some of these legacy architectures actually led to really poor um, user experience, purely from a slowness perspective. So think about if um, if I'm using a kind of a, doing a castle and moat security, all my security stack sitting in some data center, but I'm trying to go and access Office 365 on the internet. And I'm working from home, it's COVID, right? We're all working from home. In this old kind of architecture, I would have to connect back to that security stack in the data center and be routed all the way back out adding you know 50 100 milliseconds of latency which is you can imagine adds tons of a um you know increase in response time and makes some of these applications really hard to 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 use um and so you know not only are there massive security benefits but moving to this architecture which is a distributed security cloud hosted um in these pops um gives you also the advantage of of what we would say you know local local breakout right you can go directly out to us we do the protection close to where the users are and then go out to wherever the applications are eliminating what you would call this backhaul effect or this hairpin effect that would happen um the other interesting thing you know just kind of uh, you know a lot of challenges with managing a hardware based security stack right so think about you know the days of um having your own CRM solution, having your own service management solution, and going to a Salesforce, going to a service now and how that, or even, you know, managing your own mail server, 
and now going to exchange online, how much complexity that reduced, how much you know knowledge your team didn't have to have about maintaining those servers and upgrading those servers and figuring out the hardware and racking and stacking. There's a massive cost and complexity advantage as well going to this zero trust exchange in that you're taking all that hardware, often outdated, difficult to upgrade, maintain hardware, and moving it to the cloud where it's managed by a provider like ourselves that are doing the updates and keeping this uh, um, cloud up to date with all the latest threat intelligence, for example. So a lot of parallels to what happened kind of in the, the movement from on-prem software to SaaS. We are doing a lot of the similar things with you know, on-prem security to a kind of a cloud security architecture platform in the cloud. Very cool. Uh, congrats again on the, uh, on the across the board on FedRAMP. I want to point out that the Zscaler public sector page on LinkedIn puts out a lot of information. But again, the, the main repository for all of this information is revolutionaries.zscaler.com forward slash insights. If you're not going to go there on a regular basis, just follow the public sector page of Zscaler on LinkedIn. Sanjit, thanks so much for joining me today, man. This has been great. Mark, it was a pleasure, and I uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, get a copy of Seven Elements of Highly Successful Zero Trust Architecture at the revolutionaries.zscaler.com forward slash insights page. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 